Hey everyone, welcome back to another awesome episode from the Edge of Gladiators podcast, The Arena. Uh, you know, each week we try to come to you with some amazing guests who are doing awesome things in the field of education, gladiating for our kids, gladiating for our profession, and this week will be no different. Actually, I think this week uh, might be one of my favorite podcasts uh, to do and to interview. Uh, we are excited to bring you Colin Seal from Think Law. So Colin, say hello to everyone. What's going on, Arena fans? Happy to be here. <laughs> I love Colin. Uh, well, first of all, his name is the same as my youngest son. So I love Colin. I love that name. But uh, Colin and I connected online. I mean, talk about power of a PLN. Colin and I connected online, I think in a chat or something. Yeah. And, uh, and then it, we quickly jumped offline to uh, chat some more, talk some more. And then we ended up at a conference together. And that's what, that's what we're going to really spend some time talking about, what we uh, kind of had a genius hour about at the conference. But before I go in uh, with all of that, Colin, I know you. I know about Think Law. I know about many of the things that you're doing but our listeners may not. So could you tell the Warriors a little bit about yourself? Sure, would love to. So uh, my name is Colin Seal. Uh, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And I always start with where I'm from because I feel like it's such a big part of why I do what I do. And one of the things that uh, really stand out a lot about the way I came up and growing up in a struggle and growing up with family where both of my parents were from immigrant households and my, uh, you know, my father was caught up in a system and we never really had a lot of money was that we really had so much more. We had so much wealth, so much value. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about today in this podcast, Marlena, is going to talk about why so much of my life story comes down to because, not despite because of all these things that I persevered through, that my family persevered through, that caught me to come up in this sort of legacy. But long story short, I'm a computer science graduate who decided to become a math teacher, who then realized that my path to making impact had to be bigger, had to be broader. So I worked in a child welfare system. I went back into teaching, went to law school at night, graduated top of my class, worked at one of the top law firms in the country and realized that so many of the same critical thinking skills that I was doing every single day as an attorney were so aligned with the same exact skills that we say are so crucial to what our kids need to persist and persevere in the 21st century economy that's changing so rapidly. Yet, it seemed that as important as critical thinking is, we're still treating it so much like a luxury good in education. We're still reserving it for the cream of the crop at the most elite schools, for the most elite kids. So I started Think Law to change that. This is our first, fourth, fifth year. Um, it's always kind of crazy to think back, but it's our fifth year uh, of, of, of running Think Law. And we're now working with schools in 21 different states. And our whole idea is we want to create the tangible frameworks that teachers and schools need so that critical thinking is no longer a luxury good. 
So we do it through our curriculum that's aligned based off of real life legal cases and upper grades and fairy tales and nursery rhymes and lower grades. We do a lot of dynamic work around professional development where we travel all over the country to really give teachers those practical tools to make that shift from asking what and how to to asking why and what if. And the newest thing, Marlena, that I'm sure you would appreciate is we do a lot more work now with parents and families to help parents understand why why and how the day-to-day things that they do in managing a household are so aligned with the 21st century mindsets our kids need. Um, and for parents of older kids, we help them with a course called the Feeding I Don't Care Syndrome, which helps them realize their agency, their power, and making sure that our kids that struggle with underachievement and the lack of motivation really tap into their full potential. So with the work that we're doing, it truly is a blessing to call this my work because it really is a culmination of everything I've ever done in my entire life. And I love it. Oh my goodness. I mean, okay. So if you are a regular listener to our uh, Edgy Gladiators podcast, The Arena, you probably have heard me say this before with other guests. I feel like I need to level up. I mean, just listening, Colin, to your story, your journey, all the things that you're doing and all the different, all the different twists and turns that took you uh, down your path is just absolutely amazing. And I immediately think of uh, there's, a, there's a diagram about uh, what success looks like and there's an arrow and how some people think it's a straight arrow. And then on the other side of it, it's like all squiggly and back down and around and, uh, and I think that's so important to be able to share our story with kids because their journeys won't be a straight arrow to success. Most people's journey is not a straight, direct arrow. They have some, uh, some stops along the way. And uh, I just love that. I just absolutely love that. So I'm telling you now, Warriors, if you're listening, you definitely need to connect with Colin. Um, he'll talk a little bit more about Think Law uh, towards the end of our time today. And he'll also share how to get in contact uh, with him, but I have to say, whew, this summer, I think we solved a major problem of the world. Mm-hmm. And I love Colin how you said you started out talking about uh, you know where you're from because that's such an integral part of your journey. So Colin and I were at a conference. I had no idea he would be at the same conference this past summer. We were there. Of course, we're going to connect. And we had a genius hour of all genius hours. Um, Colin, just talk a little bit about like, how did our conversation start about this whole excellence thing being a lifestyle? Sure, sure. So we were at the Texas Association for Secondary School Principals. And, you know, we were hanging out and we were talking about how, you know, when we look at stories like ours, like so particularly African-American leaders in education that are doing work that seems like outlandish, like unbelievable. So you've got this amazing Edu Gladiators chat. You've got the work you're doing as an education district and systems leader. You've got the work you're doing as a book publisher. And it's like, okay, like, is any of this actually by accident? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's this whole sort of lifestyle that it takes to be excellent. Like, I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a Forbes contributor. Becoming a Forbes contributor came from a real diligent, persistent strategy around increasing my, my uh, ability to be an influencer and, and really thinking about, like, how do I earn my spot at this 
table of somebody that really cares and has a lot of innovative ideas and needs to not just have a seat at the table, but rearrange the whole seating arrangement at the same exact table. And when you think about this as a lifestyle of excellence, again, it doesn't happen by accident. So a lot of our conversation then, and I would love to flesh this out a little bit more today is like, how do you get to this point? And how do we make sure that this lifestyle of excellence isn't just something that we're sitting with as professionals as part of our expanding PLN, but something that students can start to resonate with and start to realize that as early as kindergarten, they can start setting themselves up with these same exact skills and habits and mindsets to build out this lifestyle around excellence. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, to, to dive deep into how did we get here? Like, how did I get to where I am? How did you get to where you are? I think you summed it up perfectly. You started from where you're from. And so uh, for our listeners here, as Colin and I were talking um, at this conference, um, and we were just, you know, I'm impressed by him. He's impressed by me. We're just talking about like how this happened. And, you know, it, it took me a second to really, um, to be able to verbalize it, honestly. Uh, because it's so ingrained in me. And that's where the lifestyle part comes out. And we'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But it really starts from where I'm from. And being, uh, being from Louisiana, being from the South, uh, being raised by parents that had, uh, had this, not just this idea, but that raised us in this lifestyle that being mediocre was just not an option. Uh, having grandparents, both of my grandparents on both sides, um, not able to have an education. Mm-hmm. Um, one grandparent, the highest grade that that they went to was eighth grade. You know, they weren't allowed because of the times, because of um, because of the era. They just weren't allowed, especially in deep South Southern Louisiana. And so they made sure that when they had their kids, that they created this lifestyle, this expectation that became a lifestyle of this is who you are, this is how you're going to be, and so. I've had the honor of being raised in that mindset where not succeeding is not an option. And, and so Colin and I talked about this and we really broke that down. Like, what did that mean to be raised in, in such a way and, and how it brought us here? And I think number one is that we know that a growth mindset is key to student mm-hmm. success, a teacher having the growth mindset. And I'll even stretch that out to the administrator because I'm a huge believer that, uh, you know, it trickles down from the top. We know how important that growth mindset is, but we had it from a family level as Mm. well. So we didn't just depend on our teachers to tell us what we could do and, uh, and that we were capable of doing. My grandparents, actually my great grandparents, I actually remember my great grandparents, my great grandparents, my grandparents on both sides, my parents, their siblings, they all instilled and reaffirmed that this is how you are. And then they even associated it, Colin, with our last name. Uh, you know, probably to the, <laughs> my husband will probably laugh at this, but like my mom will say even today, like from our kids, like, oh no, that's a, a gross trait or really a bank trait from her side. Mm. But they, they felt so strongly about this that they even associated like, this is what a gross does. My maiden name. This is what a Banks does. My mom's uh, last name. Um, This is what we do as a family. So we started identifying excellence with our very identity. Mm. So that, that resonates with me, not because I've lived it because the truth is a lot of my messages have been far less explicit. They've been much more implicit. And 
as a, as a proud father of a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and um, there, there's one movie that I've probably watched 70 to 70,000 times. Um, <laughs> and that movie is, of course, Moana, which is one of the more powerful movies I've ever seen in my life. And there's a certain point of this that I think really talks about this excellence lifestyle and how it can get ingrained. And sometimes it does take a reflection to get there. And this is at the point when everything seems like it's not working. She went on this big mission to try to save her village. And it seems like, what is she going to do? The guy, Maui, that told us to help her out, has bailed on her. She's got nothing. She barely even really knows how to navigate the sea. And she's got this reflection moment where she has to ask, who am I? She's like, I am the girl that loves the island. I'm the girl that loves my sea. It, it calls me. I'm the daughter of the village chief. We are descendants from voyagers who crowned their way across the world. They call me. And the part that really always gets me going, Marlena, is they've, I've delivered us to where we are. I have journeyed farther. I'm everything I learned and more, right? So this idea that although we might not have the privileges and advantages that some other people have in life. The distance that we have traveled to get here, in light of what our people before us have had to go through, how far they've had to travel. I think about these pictures that I see, and again, my family doesn't talk about it. My family is really proud people. They don't talk about the struggle, but I see pictures of my family come from, coming from Barbados, and they're literally wearing every single thing they have on them, like that they own, to come from Barbados, a tropical island, to move to New York in like January or February, and they've got no idea what's in store for them. My grandmother is sitting here begging and borrowing and stealing, paying whatever exorbitant amounts it takes to get every single one of her kids up to New York City for this dream, for this opportunity of like, how can we make this better? How can we really build a legacy? And when you look at what they've been able to accomplish and the values they're instilling in the generations that come before them, again, it's not explicit, but we see it. We see this journey. We see this idea that like, you know, at the end of that song, when she screams out, I am Moana, it's the same thing you talk about, like we are grosses. Like we are this legacy. And if you think about everything that we've gone through up to this point, it's not by accident. It's because, not despite, even when we've had struggles, even when we've had different things that have come across our paths, of course we have to find a way to persevere because the whole narrative of what we've had to go through, it's all about that same exact perseverance. Absolutely. I mean, I just, uh, I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. I mean, I never thought about the movie because my kids are past that movie age <laughs> with me being an empty nester at 28. Um, but I haven't watched that movie because The Rock is in it, neither here nor there. Um, but I, I do, I feel like that is exactly it. And where yours wasn't um, as explicit in, in my family, and I think it would be probably true of, uh, of the South growing up with the, you know, the slavery to the sharecropping to the Jim Crow laws and all of those things and having to fight for, you know, Martin Luther King to be a holiday when I was younger, which I'm not terribly old by any means, you know, I think that it was very explicit for us, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when, when I look at kids that are struggling, particularly our kids of color, and I've said this time and time again, I think it's just because number one, they don't truly know their history. Like as a, as a, as a, as a black person in America, and they haven't been taught to they haven't been taught about this journey and the expectations and the sacrifices that 
that those before them have made. So they can be right where they are right now and that it's on them now to move forward, right? To keep going, uh, to bring us further. And so when I think about, when I think about that, that being just so, just to the forefront of everything I, I did and my brothers uh, and my cousins too, uh, and our family, I think about, okay, now how do I do this with my kids, right? Mm. Like as a new parent, um, when they were, you know, when I first started having, um, having children, how do I do this where they understand, they take pride in, and, and they embrace who they are? Because let me tell you what, part of this excellence lifestyle came with some sacrifice. Uh, and Colin, you and I talked about that before because I did grow up in a uh, predominantly white area. Uh, it, it was tough. It was tough being the only black kid in a class, being the only black kid then in a gifted class at that, um, you know, constantly fighting the stereotypes of, uh, of being a, a child of color in a public school that is predominantly white. And then finding the stereotypes of, oh, well, you should be, you're tall. You should be great at basketball mm. or you should be great at sports, you know? And I was very great. I was very good at sports and I, and I also danced uh, because in my family, my mom, her, her parents said that all of their kids had to learn how to uh, be involved in the arts. So my parents, you know, continued that with us and with my brothers and we had, to, we had to be involved in the arts in some way. And so no matter how great we were in our sports, we had to be just as great in our arts because the arts give us depth. But most people don't look at, uh, I, I hate to say it, but especially at that time in my community, most people didn't look at anyone of color having really any other talent. Or if you were, if you were smart, it was a fluke instead of the norm, right? And so it comes with sacrifice to be excellent because that took me having a very thick skin and really knowing and embracing who I am uh, and being okay with it. And I'm human. I'm, I was a kid. Sometimes I wasn't okay with it. Sometimes I realized, gosh, life is just so unfair. And my mom would always say, do much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. uh, I've translated that because I use that all the time once I went into education and with my own kids. It's hard being awesome. Yeah, um, there, there's a lot that resonates there because you're right. There, there's a tremendous sacrifice. As somebody who not only went through gifted education programs myself, going up in Brooklyn, New York, but I spent a lot of my work, a lot of my advocacy is around thinking about some of the equity challenges that play as barriers to our kids getting access to ensure that we live in a world where we don't leave, leave genius on a table. We know that across the country, regardless of what kind of district we're talking about, black and brown children are being left out. They're being over, over uh, basically underrepresented in their um, representation in these gifted programs and in advanced academic programming generally. And when you talk about the sacrifices, it's hard for me to not take that really personally because I remember, you know, I'm a classically trained pianist. I started taking piano lessons at six years old. I took them all the way until I finished high school. And I remember being at a, a conference recently where somebody was like, you know, Colin, it's, you're, you're, you're really incredibly talented. And I had to stop and, and challenge this notion that talent had anything to do with it. Because the reality is like, I did so many 
things on those Saturdays or on those summer camps and like, you know, randomly, I know how to tap dance and do ballet and African. I used to be a hip hop dance instructor and used to go on tour for doing that because the arts was really important for me as well. I remember when I was in high school, I, I had a, I played Puck in the Midsummer Night's Dream. And I remember I showed up to campus on the first day of school because it was a fall play and I was off book. I had memorized all my lines and like, wow, Colin, you're so talented. I'm like, no, I practiced all summer because I wanted to be <laughs> able to like act the role out and learn the direction and really do a really good job. Like I took it very seriously. Um, I'm not just a good presenter when I work with teachers in schools and do keynote addresses by accident. Like, I practice, I think about the audience, I analyze it, like, again, excellence does not happen by accident, right? It's part of this attitude. And when you think about the social pressures around this, the reality is there's this phrase that I like to think about, and they're two cliches, but I don't think we've ever think about it together. Okay. This misery loves company, and it's lonely at the top. Hmm. So the truth is, when you are in high school and you decide that, like, you want to skip school, have a ditch party, go drinking on a Friday night, like kick it, do whatever stuff that you know you're not supposed to be doing. It is really easy to rally the masses. You'll get all sorts of friends. You'll be the most popular kid in the history of your high school. <laughs> but if you want to get that study group popping, if you want to talk about, hey, yo, I'm going to have a fast forget together. We're going to turn up on this fast forget. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit harder to get people to come through for that fast forget together because it's not going to be as lit. But, the, but, 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 but making sure that we actually talk about that as a reality of like, look, it is lonely at the top. It is really, really hard to get people to be really excited about the energy that it takes, the commitment level that it takes to get there. And then you got to go back to the, uh, the, the, the Jay-Z line, you know, like the homie said, oh, there ain't many of us. I told him less is more. There's plenty of us. So maybe you just need to have that select few. Maybe you need to just have that tight knit group of people that understand the excellence lifestyle the way you do. And y'all can start spreading the word. You start living by example. You're inspiring other people. But we have to be really honest about the idea that this is not easy stuff. And it's not for the faint of heart. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it, it takes, it takes you being a warrior, right. To hold fast when it's, when it, like you said, when it's hard to do something that your friends might be doing if you're, and not just if you're a child in school, but even as an adult, you know, it's hard for you to, to do the right thing sometimes and the right thing for you. Um, when you just want to go hang with the masses, right. When you want to go do the easy things. Um, but that's, that's part of the lifestyle. And so when I think about, um, you know, I had, I had a question posed to me, uh, a few years back by a new mom, uh, someone from my PLN was coming into Nashville visiting and, and I met them and, and they had a, you know, brand new family, stair steppers. And, uh, by that time, my two kids were in high school and, um, and just doing their thing. And, and my oldest son had already committed to go into the Naval Academy and this mom, looked at me and she said, how did you know that they were going to be like that? Right. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I'm seeing her sweet two babies and one was in the oven ready to come out. And I said, well, it's not like I didn't know they had no choice because I did not have mediocre kids. So they had no choice, but to be great. 
And I remember her looking at me, right? She's a white girl and she looked at me and was like super perplexed, like this high level of excellence, right? Like she was perplexed, like how could this be? And how could I instill, how did I instill that from the start, right? And so I gave her some tips and I told her like from the moment they're out, even the ones you have now, you start telling them, not just, not just, uh, not just blowing hot air that, oh, you're great, you're awesome. But you start acknowledging the hard work you start that they're doing, that they're putting in, whatever it is that they're doing. Don't acknowledge that the end product is great. Acknowledge the work that it took to get there, right? And keep encouraging them to work harder. Uh, so I was giving her some tips and things like that, but it really made me think about the boys. It thought about, it made me think about my upbringing. It made me think about how I was bringing them up. And I realized that, gosh, like they had no choice because this is all I know. And so I brought them up in that same excellence lifestyle. I brought them up with that same strong affirmation of who they are, where they came from, and the courage and the permission and the expectation for them to be whoever it is they wanted to be. So even to this day, you ask my boys and they'll tell you, you know, this is what, this is what it means to be a tailor, right? This is what this is what tailors do. And then you have all these other families like the grosses, like the banks, my husband's side, the McGee's like, this is who we are. This is who you are as a tailor. Right. And so you could be whatever you want to be. Um, and, and for those listeners that uh, might not know, I mean, I do brag about them a lot because I'm proud of them and I love them. But, you know, Daniel's at the Naval Academy studying oceanography, marine biology. Colin is about to enter Penn State for paleontology. I'm not really sure how many black boys, black men, young men are doing those two things, right? But, and when I tell people what they do and where they're going, that look of surprise is like, I have to, I have to pause and not be upset because mm -hmm. they're not saying it from a, from a place to insult. But the look of surprise, like, oh, well, how do they do that? How do they get into that? Because they wanted to. And, and you know what's important to talk about here, though, Marlena? I think we spent a lot of time in education talking about the achievement gap. The reality is white kids really aren't doing that great either, right? So, right. like, th th this whole idea of, like, we know proficiency on a state exam is actually not enough. We, we, we know that the standards have to be a lot higher. And I, you know, and, and I'm sure you're in the same boat. We get to work with the diversity of people. And it's so interesting to me that, especially since our work is education, how many education people with their own families, with their own children are kind of left scratching their heads of like, how have I dedicated all of my life and resources and energy to other people's kids? And somehow my own children have not got the memo. Somehow my kid is on a couch at 32 and I'm like, what's on <laughs> missing here? Why haven't they kind of figured this out? And what I've realized is whether you have children or not, there needs to be messages in education that are also along these lines of, what is an excellent lifestyle all about? And when we think about it, is this something that we actually even talk about? So when you talked about, you know, the kinds of words you use with your children, Marlena, you're talking about the kind of specific feedback. You, you, you're really hitting on the same thing you said earlier about creating that growth mindset at the family level, right? Like, I tell you that when people tell me my daughter is smart, I always cringe a little bit because I'm like, that's not it. It's not that she's smart. It's that she didn't give up on that problem. Is that exactly. she really thought about several different creative solutions to resolve it. And it's the idea that like, you know, we were at a pizza party, uh, a kid's party at some bouncy house place here in Phoenix, Arizona uh, this weekend. And I realized like, you know, the lady that's cutting the pizza, 
Rose is like all up in the mix, watching what she's doing, like observing what she's doing. Like every time like Rose is at a party, she always finds some miraculous way to sit right next to the person whose birthday it is, who's blowing out the candles and she wants to get this first slice of cake. And I look at her, I'm like, you know, you're really strategic. You're always thinking one step ahead. You want to make sure you get that right slice of pizza. You want to make sure you get that right piece of cake. Like, it never really hurts to plan, to think about it, to build relationships. You get all buddy-buddy with it. It's like, those are good qualities. Like, keep on doing those. How often, though, are we talking about the habits and mindsets versus just the skills, versus just the test, just the output? So as educators, I think that's our call to action. That's our charge. That's how we gladiate for this excellence mindset in our classrooms. This is how we make sure that it doesn't become by accident that kids are graduating and they're getting into the schools and their choices to study what they want to study and do what they want to do. It's been ordained. It's been something that they put in the work for from the time they were in early elementary school. But we set them up with that right mindset for it. And that's really what this all comes down to, being very intentional that we are in the business of creating and developing the right mindset for this work. Well, and when I think back to what I, what I shared with that mom a couple of years ago, you know, it's very simple. So when I think about the excellence lifestyle, right, or the lifestyle of excellence, it is super simple because if you make it complicated, then you can't scale it. Number one, you can't scale it if it's complicated. It's truly simple. So for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Colin, I, I break down the excellence lifestyle into three main pieces. Number one, Self-talk, your self-talk. So having a growth mindset from your family or from your teachers, yes, you need that. You need those, those words of affirmation and encouragement, but it still comes down to you. What do you say to yourself when you are, when you are presented with a challenge, especially if that challenge seems just insurmountable? What is that self-talk you give your, yourself every day right? To help you get through your day, to help you get through that practice, whether it's a sports practice, whether it's an arts practice, whether it's classroom practices, schoolwork, homework, what is your self-talk? So your self-talk, I think, is a direct, can be a direct reflection of the growth mindset of the people around you, but what is your self-talk? I think that's number one. Number two, you have to practice. You have to prepare. You can, I mean, everyone that I've, I've mentored, whether it's adults, no matter their color, kids, if they're not, if they're, if they're struggling, it all comes down to how prepared were you, right? What are your steps to prepare? Because we are all better when we go into preparation. Now, our preparation looks different because we're all different people, right? We think process differently, but you still have to prepare in whatever way that works for you, whatever that is. And if, if you're not being successful, I think a lot of it is because you haven't found your rhythm of preparation yet, right? Maybe you do need to adopt or learn some new things so your preparation is tight. But if you have the positive self-talk that really leads to your core belief, you have the preparation, and then lastly, you surround yourself with people that will encourage you, that will inspire you, that will lift you up. And when I say surround yourself, I'm not saying like, sometimes we're blessed to where we can have a, a digital PLN, like how you and I first met, right? Or maybe we're in a space in our, in our hometown or our school or whatever it might be, or we're surrounded physically by people. But if not, surround yourself with, if it's, I mentioned The Rock, because I love The Rock, 
but say it is the rock. Say you have like three people that are, I don't know, personalities, you know, are famous people that you really surround yourself with that if that's all that you have. But look who you have around you. If you need to expand further, expand, but surround yourself with people that will encourage and inspire you to do whatever it is that you're wanting to do to keep that lifestyle of excellence. That's why uh, all these weightlifting or uh, workout groups uh, like the, uh, oh gosh, what is it? All of the, um, not the boot camps, but um, the all CrossFit, of these, the, CrossFit. the CrossFit. Yeah. That's all CrossFit is, right? Self-talk. They're teaching you how to talk well to yourself. They're teaching you how to encourage others and they're teaching you how to prepare before you do whatever that end goal is, right? Those three things to me, if we can get kids and adults to really embrace those three, then that the excellent lifestyle isn't hard to achieve. It isn't hard to adopt because it is what you do each and every day. And I, I, I think that's a really clear guide, Marlena. I think, I, I, I think that one sort of worry that people have when it comes to a conversation around like excellence lifestyle is this idea that like, it doesn't mean you have to be excellent in everything. That's not, re, that's not realistic, right? Very Instead, true. in fact, and I think this is really important, as we get older, um, as we be, kind of become our, prof our professional selves and realize like what it is that we do really, really well, I think there's two types of people. There's the types of people that like want to tinker around the edges, right? They're like, well, I'm really not that good at QuickBooks. So let me make sure I learned this like random accounting software thing and I want to be better at QuickBooks. So let me do that. And I said, okay, you could do that. You could tinker around the edges or you could be the other kind of person that looks at what they do that's already great, that's already resonating with people and they double down on that piece. When Starting I, from an area of strength, like yeah. finders. And, 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 and you see this, I, I remember I had an opportunity to attend an, an amazing conference. It's the Black Male Educators Convening in <sighs> Philly. And it was such a powerful convening and gathering of a thousand plus people. And one of the founders went to Syracuse University with me also to Teach for America um, after I did. I remember talking to him and I was like, you know, you might get some feedback at the end of this. Like, you know, the registration should have been a little bit more organized or you should have had it. I was like, your content was so empowering though. Your content was so over the top. Like I went to 40 education conferences last year and it wasn't even close. The black male educator convening was through the roof. Double down on that. Forget everything. Cause nobody comes here because it's gonna be super duper organized or whatever, whatever. They come here right. because of that energy and that spirit and that feeling. And I think that when we talk about an excellence lifestyle, it, it kind of forces us to step back and be like, where? Are you excellent or do you have the most potential to be excellent? And as part of that self-talk, but also that self-awareness to be like, you know, I'm not going to be all things to all people, but the thing that I know that I do really well, the thing that I'm probably put on this earth here to do, I need to do it because it's a good chance that if I don't actually do that one thing, it might not actually get done. So that's why I'm here. That's the purpose behind it. And that's what I need to double down on. That's your number one then. Identify your area of excellence or areas for some, but identify your area, areas of excellence and move to acceptance, right? So, because I think we accept the things that we really should be doing and we're not doing well, we accept being mediocre, right? So mm -hmm. it's identifying it, it's owning it. This is what I'm really, really good at, like you said, and accepting the fact that you're not going to be good at everything. You're not going to be everything to all people. 
And there's another piece you talked about, and it's somewhat related to like misery loves company, but it's lonely at the top. This idea around like the people that you surround yourself with. I remember when I was in my freshman year in, in college, uh, Billy Joel and Elton John were doing a concert at the Carrier Dome. It was a really big deal in Syracuse. And I had played a lot of piano locally at different bars and all that. And I had a jazz teacher at the time and he was getting profiled and he wanted somebody that could talk about the student kind of performance experience. So they did a profile of me, not in a Syracuse University paper, but in the city of Syracuse paper, the Post Standard. And I remember I was so excited when this profile came out in the weekend paper, I went and got like seven of these editions. <laughs> so I'm walking with these things, I'm all excited. And I saw two of my friends that were on their way to the mall. I'm like, Colin, what are you doing with all these papers? And I guess it did look sort of weird. And I was like, oh, yay, let me show you. And I showed them, hey, they're doing this profile because Billy John Elton John are doing his concert. Like, you know, and they looked at the paper, they looked at me and they said, so you want a cookie? <laughs> and I remember feeling so deflated. So like, oh, well, well, I, I, mean, I thought it was cool, but man, I guess it's not really a big deal. And I remember I bought all these to like send to my mom and send to my aunts and uncles, but I just kind of threw them in a corner in my dorm and forgot about it. Later that year, I was packing up to like get on the Greyhound bus and go back home for the summer. And my, my boy who ended up being one of my best friends was in my wedding. My boy AJ comes in my room. He's like, what are those papers? Why do you have a lot? I was like, ah, it's nothing. And he starts looking at it and he starts thumbing through it and he's like, yo, is, is that you? Oh my God, that's hot. Oh my God. You're just... and, he, and, and it was like this genuine excitement for me to win. And I thought about that and I was like, you know, I know it's lonely at the top. I know that this excellent lifestyle can really lead to that feeling of isolation. But when you find people that feel like when you win, they win, huh. you need those people. You yes. need to surround yourself with those people. And we say this like it's an adult thing, but we see it with kids. I've got to tell my daughter from a young age, I'm like, okay, Rose, there's something called haters, okay? Mm -hmm. And like, you're out here, you're doing this, you're getting put into these advanced classes, you're doing these opportunities. Like, not everybody is going to be a fan of that. You need to really make sure you align yourself with the people that are okay with you being exactly who you are. You don't have to compromise for them. You don't have to dumb it down for them. Like, let somebody rock with you that is truly going to be along for your journey there in that corner and push you even harder. That's well, what you need. And on top of that, too, and this, is, this might be the Southern part of me, too, but I agree with everything you just said. So, but the other part is you also, I feel, in most cases, have to equip your kids with how to respond when people are hating on them. Mm. Now, in the South, we call it playing the dozens. Mm -hmm. Might not be politically correct anymore, but it is what it is, right? So everything you were saying about Rose, I told my boys the same thing. And I remember uh, one of uh, my oldest son coming home from school and uh, middle school, I believe it was, middle school. And someone was kind of giving him a hard time for being excellent, right? And I remember my husband saying, okay, Hayden, I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to teach you how to play the dozens. I should have taught you this a long time ago, right? And here's what you say, not to cut down the kid that was hating on him, but just to make sure, put him in his place that this is who I am and I know how to respond to you and you're not gonna try to embarrass me to accept your limitations. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, I would say growing up in Brooklyn, um, it was a different dynamic. And I, and I always talk about this, like you, I, I couldn't possibly have been accused of acting white because we didn't know any white children. Like it, it would be something that would be like, I don't know what that even is, right? So 
I, I would honestly say that I never really felt a lot of, aside from the fact that it wasn't really cool. Like I, I knew I wasn't one of the cool kids. I never really felt any sort of outsized pressure. And I remember one time being on the bus, it was like, I was coming out of like a math team practice or something like that. He was coming out of detention. We ended up on a bus coming home and we just got report cards. And I'm like, he's like, yo, how'd your report card? I was like, yeah, this is pretty all right. You know, got like a 92 average because in New York we do numbers. And he's like, what about you? He's like, oh, straight 55, which is basically straight S. But he's like, nah, but do your thing, man. You're smart. Yo, you got to keep on doing your thing. And I was like, you know, I wonder if the people and the powers that be understand that this is how these conversations often go. Like, he doesn't want to see me not succeed. He doesn't want to tear me down. He's happy for me from doing me. And the thing is, there's probably a lot of untapped genius that was going on with him um, because he didn't have the same teachers that I had. He didn't have the same uh, classroom environments where he got challenged the way that I did. And um, it's kind of the way inequity plays itself out. But, you know, yeah, it, it was just a very different dynamic in a, a school that's almost 100% African-American to be a little bit more secure in exercising your brilliance and reaching your full potential. I love that. I love, I love that story. I mean, even to this day, I, I remember uh, when the boys got to high school, because um, I cook, because I'm from Louisiana. So I, I don't know what I was thinking cooking for the whole football team at my house, but um, making beignets. But I always still put the boys report card on the fridge because mm. I'm proud of it. Right. And if they made a grade or had a slip up here or there and they're like, mom, don't put it on the fridge. No, I'm going to put it on the fridge. I'm so proud of you. But you need to see this every day you go in the fridge. Right. To self-talk. Mm-hmm. Right. To do what you need to do so you can get better because it's still going to be on there because you're my kid and I'm proud of you and I love you no matter what. Right. And I remember their grades were just uh, grades had just come out. Uh, the semester grades I had their uh, oh, from the end of the year. This was summer making beignets. All the boys were going, you know, through the line in my kitchen. And I remember the first kids at the line were like and it was a mixed group, black and white kids. But I remember that some of the black kids were like, oh, my God, Miss Marlena, you got their grades on the fridge. And I'm like, well, yes. And then I remember them saying, like, ooh, dang, Hayden, Colin, like, y'all smart. Like, mm. y'all, y'all got, like, A's. Great opportunity to say, well, you don't? Why right. not? There's no difference between you and, and my boys other than the, the lifestyle, right? The mindset, the self-talk, the practice, the preparation. They practice as much for their schoolwork as they do on the football field, right? And in their arts. So it created this whole conversation. And I even got texts from moms that you put your boys' grades on the fridge and they're in high school? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Hell yeah, I do. Right. Because mm. I'm proud of that. Right. And it created great conversations with their kids, uh, with their friends. And kind of like what you experienced for the Black kids, it was not any kind of negativity or anything. It was like, wow, that's like great. And like, I need to do better. Right. And my chance to encourage them as a Black person. But then also the white kids that were going through, they're like, well, yeah, like, this is awesome. Or some saying, yeah, my grades don't look that great either. So it mm-hmm. went from being a, about a race thing, period. Not that it ever started that way, but it was more of a whole team thing, right? right. And right. then I started because I can't have the background to say, okay, so if y'all want beignets next summer, you have to do your summer reading. And I read all the books because I was an English teacher, right? Mm. And if you don't know the answers to your books, because don't try to read the cliff notes, I probably taught the book. 
then you're going to get behind the lineman to eat your beignets, which means you're not going to have any left. Right. So then we start creating this whole culture like of even grades. And I, I mean, there's so many examples I could tell you of, of their teammates who like really were in their class really responded and right. did even better than they ever thought that they could because no one ever told them they could. And no one was even giving that that example. Now, I went through their tummies because they're boys, mm-hmm. but whatever it takes as educators, we got to find what motivates these kids where are their levels of excellence and like you right. said start there and let's go and, and 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 that idea that like deep down inside i think everyone i, I remember my, my ps208 my elementary school a little phrase we had to get on our little pencils was striving for excellence so it kind of got tattooed in your brain and i actually believe that everyone actually somehow believes in this idea that you should strive for excellence and i remember a lot of this plays out in expectations that teachers have. I remember one time I saw a kid walking around the school because he did this project and if he wanted to show off his project to everybody because the teachers were so proud of him. And I looked at it and I'm like, so you took this poster board, you wrote on pencil, you've got all sorts of spelling errors on here. Why are you proud of this? You could do better than this. I need you to understand that this is actually trash. And what you are capable of is so much better than that. And he was like, he threw it down. He started again. He started rocking it out. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I'm talking about. This is what should be up on the board. And let's be real, Marlena. You go to schools. I go to schools. There are sometimes things on that wall that have hmm. no business being on anybody's wall, right? Except for this is good enough for this kid. But I think if we are actually legit about that standard of excellence, I remember when I had. Uh, I, I, I taught like half the basketball team and uh, these were juniors and seniors and there was a kid that couldn't play because his project got an F in social studies mm-hmm. and he was going on and on and the kids were like, you know, it's unfair. And I was like, do me a favor. Why don't you go to your locker, bring the project in here so we can all look at it. And his team went in on him. He's like, how can you disrespect the team with that? How could you turn that in? Knowing all that's at stake. Like, how could you turn that in? Like they felt so, dis- and then he, for once, instead of blaming on somebody else, he's like, you're right. Like, I let y'all down. I let y'all down. I did mm-hmm. a really crappy job on this project. And I knew that I did it while I was doing it and didn't seem to care. Cause I thought that maybe I'll get a pass, whatever I have you, but you're right. This was inconsistent with this idea that I should do the best that I can at any given time because it matters. Like, so so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm completely with it. And I hope that like the takeaway here between the mindset conversations and self-talk conversations and even what it means when we think about how we guide our, our students and our, our children socially around these, these uh, interactions really helps them to understand that like this is a thing that can be done. It's not mission impossible. It's very practical. It just mm-hmm. takes that repetition and it takes that intentionality. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I'll close with this quote. It's one of my favorites. Thomas Edison said, if we just did the things that we were capable of, we would astound ourselves. Mm. I mean, mm. that's it. If we just did what we're capable of, right? Where's our, where are our areas of excellence? We would astound ourselves. Because that's where it starts with, astounding us. We, we can't do things because of outside motivation or rewards, but here, like I feel good with what I just created or what I just helped to create or helped to lead or participated in. 
And I just, that's like probably one of my favorite, favorite quotes. If we just did what we're capable of, we would astound ourselves. So let's teach our kids how to be excellent so they can astound themselves and astound the world, right? Oh my gosh, this has been such an awesome conversation. Oh, guys, if you haven't picked up, I mean, I forgot for a second, we're even recording this podcast. Like we are just talking like we did at that conference. But um, really quick, Colin, really quickly, tell us uh, uh, any new things on the horizon for ThinkWall and then let our listeners know how to get in contact with you. Sure, sure. So if you're following me at Colin E. Seal, that's C-O-L-I-N-E-S-E-A-L-E on Twitter, you'll see a lot of my latest work that I'm doing as a Forbes uh, publisher, uh, uh, as a Forbes contributor, contributor you're seeing, um, I, I just did a, a blog post in collaboration with America Succeeds around this future of work conversation we're having about what it takes to make sure we're preparing lifelong agile learners that can compete in this rapidly changing workforce. And if you're following us at Think Law US and I work with Think Law, we are truly sparking a critical thinking revolution. We are really obsessing with the how of what a teacher needs to be doing on a Tuesday morning to help kids unleash their full potential. So would love to stay in contact with you and check out our work. We have a lot of exciting things happening and it's not too late for schools to partner with us for the 1920 school year. So really excited to have a chance to talk about our work and really a philosophy that underlies everything we do. All kids deserve a fair shot at being excellent. Let's help move them along that path. I love it. I love it. And so for those of you that are either watching this uh, on our Edgy Gladiators YouTube channel, or if you're listening to the podcast on any of your podcast platforms, Apple, uh, Stitch, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it might be, uh, we will include Colin's contact information as well in the notes, in the description section there. So you can be sure to connect with this amazing human being, Colin. Thank you so much. This was a, a conversation that just really touched my heart this past summer. And once again, right now, as we're sharing, and I just absolutely am so honored to call you friends. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> All right, listeners. So if you want to, uh, again, connect with Colin, check out the show notes. It'll be there for you. And you can connect with Edu Gladiators each and every week on our chat. Saturday mornings from 8 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time, 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 30 minutes, four questions that will get you fired up, right? Fired up to head into the arena for your kids, for our profession. You also can connect with us on our Facebook uh, page and even in our Facebook community where we have some really cool webinars that are happening uh, among many other resources that we'll continue to add to and you will be surrounded by uh, an incredible group of educators that uh, really want to see kids succeed. So we hope to see you in the arena on Twitter or on our Facebook uh, page or group and Colin again thank you for this awesome sharing and we will see you in our next podcast.